Laudator Jesus Christus, praise be Jesus Christ. This is Matt Gaspers, Managing Editor of Catholic Family News, and I'm joined as always by my friend and colleague, Dr. Brian McCall, who is the Editor-in-Chief of CFN. Hello, Brian. It's good to see you after a, a, week's, a week off last week for uh, your traveling yes. to, to your son's ordination. So congratulations and, and best wishes to, to your son and your family. I'm sure that was a wonderful experience. It was. It was, uh, and it's, it's still going on. We have his first solemn high mass uh, this Sunday coming up at home parish. Uh, it really was uh, in, incredible. Uh, every it, the last week was a little rough. We had uh, a lot of interesting attacks going on, uh, leading up while he was on retreat, leading up to it. But nothing so severe. I know some parents of priests who were ordained several years ago. One has two priests. For one of them, their house was flooded and literally flooded away. And now they're oh burned my. down. It burned down. So they lost two houses. We didn't lose a house. We lost air conditioning and several other things. But uh, yes. once we got there, that tornado almost passed over the house we were staying in. It was like right by, wow. uh, which is unusual for Virginia. But uh, on the morning, it was sweltering. It was hot, but it was um, beautiful. So he was ordained by Bishop T.C.A. de Malcare. And at my, um, my thoughts at that moment was, you know, this this bishop, Archbishop Lefebvre's hands were laid upon his his this bishop, and he's now laying hands on my son. So he's of a grandson. That's <laughs> right, Archbishop Lefebvre. In in a certain sense, it was yes. uh, really really uh, beautiful. And then the next morning, he celebrated his his first mass, which was a low mass, uh, with his two brothers. Uh, you'll see on the far outer side, two of his brothers, not all of them, two of them who served him uh, for his first mass. That, that's his spiritual director acting as assistant priest that you should be able to see there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it was the, the feast of St. Uh, Ephraim. Here he is, I think, uh, vesting. Um, let's see if we go. I think a few, yeah, there. Nope, that's back to the vesting. Oh, that's afterwards, after the first Mass. Uh, he's been giving a lot of first blessings. Let's go this way. Yes. There we go. And uh, as I said, his first solemn high Mass will be uh, Sunday. I myself got to do twice now. I've served a, a low Mass for him, which just, it was very strange. Brought back memories of practicing the prayers of the foot of the altar with him as a yes. little boy. You know, I'd <laughs> recite the priest part, and he would recite the the uh, the part of the altar boy. And I, <laughs> it was obviously reversed for real it wasn't it wasn't yes practice it uh, was really quite extraordinary um so that's just a few pictures if you're interested uh, in, a, in a fuller report uh, if you subscribe to the newspaper the next two months we'll have some articles uh in some information about the ordinations and yes. about that some further reflections which will be in the newspaper so if you s- subscribe now you can get the july uh, issue online uh, electronically and then have the august issue certainly in paper if that's what you want so uh really just a wonderful blessing for our, our family a really wonderful time and uh Please, if you're if you're watching this, please pray for him. Uh, he's being sent in the missions to South America, uh, so he'll be with us for a few weeks, and then we may not see him. We don't know for how long, uh, but pray for him and, and that he he may be uh, a holy priest. Yes, indeed. All right. Well, we have uh, several stories to discuss today. We uh, first off, we're going to start with 
some uh, recent papal comments against, quote, restorationism and, quote, traditionalists. Uh, <laughs> not surprising. We've heard these these uh, per- pejoratives before, of course, <laughs> from Pope Francis. And plus a new restriction imposed on bishops, which is somewhat related to Traditionis Custodes, a couple articles in that document. We're also going to discuss a new interview of Cardinal-elect, pains me to say, Cardinal-elect Arthur Roach, head of the Vatican's liturgy office, in which he says it is, quote, quite serious to resist Vatican II's, quote, new liturgy. And a lot of what he says is basically uh, reiterating what he said in an interview earlier this year, back in January. We'll revisit that and see the similarities. Uh, Also, sadly, to report some more liturgical abuse in the Archdiocese of Chicago. As you'll recall, our last show two weeks ago, we looked at the so-called bubble mass in which this layman gave a quote-unquote homily and played with a bubble wand during mass. (laughs) This time, a homosexual couple uh, who's apparently, you know, quote-unquote married and recently adopted children was allowed to give what they called a gospel reflection in place of the actual sermon. Um, Sadly, we also uh, have to report today another attack on Catholics in Nigeria reportedly carried out by the same group as the last time we reported, the uh, Fulani herdsmen, which they are predominantly Muslim, and they have a history, a long history of attacking the Christian communities in Nigeria, uh, kind of a combination of you know, religious uh, religious motivation as well as an issue of land, I think, for uh, grazing their cattle, something like that. And then finally, we're going to end today with uh, a story about a large group of United States armed service members who are speaking out against discrimination related to COVID-19 vaccination status. These service members have for you know, religious, um, moral reasons of conscience have declined to take the jab and are suffering uh, unjust consequences for that, and they are speaking out about that. But uh, before we get to all of these news items today, as always, we will take a few minutes to review the church's liturgical calendar and ponder the things that are above, as St. Paul says. Mm. So we are coming to you today live uh, Thursday, June 23rd, the year of our Lord, 2022. And on the traditional Roman calendar, it is the vigil of St. John the Baptist. Tomorrow is the traditional date for the uh, feast of the nativity of St. John the Baptist. And in the old calendar, a lot of times important feasts have a vigil uh, the day before to prepare ourselves spiritually to celebrate the great feast the next day. I just wanted to read a little excerpt from today's gospel. So tomorrow, of course, focused on his actual the actual birth of St. John the Baptist. Today is focused on, uh, in preparation for that, the appearance of the angel uh, to his father, Zachary, when he was ministering in the temple. And this is what the angel uh, told him. Fear not, Zachary, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John, and thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his nativity. For he shall be great before the Lord, and shall drink no wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. 
and he shall convert many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias, that he may turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the incredulous to the wisdom of the just, to prepare unto the Lord a perfect people. I love the line, uh, in the spirit and power of Elias. We remember from the Old Testament, the prophet Elias was uh, the one who called the people of Israel back from so many times throughout salvation history, they fell into idolatry, worshiping false gods. And the one episode in particular where Elias essentially tells them, you know, how long will you sit on the fence, straddle the fence? I forget the exact words. Mm -hmm. If the Lord is God, worship him, follow him. If Baal or one of the idols is God, follow him. And then they have this showdown on Mount Carmel. Uh, We actually have an article about uh, Our Lady of Mount Carmel and the history of that, the Old Testament history in the July paper. So another good reason to subscribe to our paper. Um, So, you know, they go through this ritual where he tells them to prepare a sacrifice and call upon their false gods. Obviously, they don't get an answer. And he essentially says, whoever, whoever's God rains down fire to consume the sacrifice, that is the true God. And we all know that the Lord, the the one true God, uh, answered the prayer of Elias with fire, not only consuming the sacrifice, but lapping up all the water that was that he had dug a trench around the Mm -hmm. altar and filled it with water, drenched the sacrifice in water just to make drive home the point that the Lord is the one true God. So we certainly need more uh, men like Elias and St. John the Baptist in our church today to remind us of that and to lead people back from all of the different forms, modern forms of idolatry that we see in the church and the world today. Mm. I don't know if Brian had anything he wanted to add to the today's feast. And and then tomorrow we have kind of a little bit of an anomaly that Brian maybe can. Yes. So normally would be the, the feast of uh, the nativity of John the Baptist, but it is transferred because a feast of our Lord that's a movable feast appears tomorrow. So the feast of the sacred heart uh, is always the Friday following uh, the week of Corpus Christi. And that is tomorrow. So our Lord takes precedence over John the Baptist. And so it will be the feast of sacred heart tomorrow, but then St. John the Baptist is so important. He doesn't just disappear. So again, a minor, feast if there's something that comes over top of it it just you wait till next year but that's how important saint john the baptist is he just gets transferred to the next day so yes. you will actually if you go to mass on saturday you can see celebrated the feast of the nativity of john the baptist but tomorrow that wonderful feast of the sacred heart that really for modern times that was promoted uh brought our lord brought to margaret mary alacoque in uh, 1689, asking specifically mm-hmm. for the consecration of France to the Sacred Heart. And then Father Matteo, closer to our time, being the great apostle of the Sacred Heart. If you have not yet consecrated your home to the Sacred Heart, your, your family, your home, believe and enthrone the Sacred Heart, look into that. Uh, we could do a whole show on it. The enthronement of the Sacred Heart is really the devotion for our time to protect the family, protect the home. Uh, you have a priest to come and, and do that for you. Uh, so wonderful, beautiful, beautiful feast. And then without, we don't have time to talk about it much, but next week we have the great feast of Saints Peter and Paul, the great yes. founding uh, founders of the Roman Church, the, the great feast of the papacy. And uh, it, it's such an important feast. We in the United States often forget that it's important because 
was we were a non-Catholic country. There were secular laws. Things were not closed. So they really, even before Vatican II, minimized the numbers of holy days of obligation because it just was so difficult for Catholics here. But right. in Europe, traditionally, this was a holy day of obligation and still is in many European countries, even in the new you know, new reductions. Uh, so that's how important it is that this was a, a universe, you know, a, a, uh, a holy day of obligation for centuries in the church for a long time. Um, again, it's not binding. It never was in the United States, but it's still, that gives you a sense of its, its importance. Uh, and, yes. uh, traditionally it was one, uh, the day Archbishop Lefebvre, uh, or did his ordinations when he only had one seminary in a cone in the beginning, um, that had to change now that they're, they have to you know, have ordinations all around the world. Um, right. But it was always tradition on that day because he always wanted to show, you know, his fidelity to uh, the see of Peter, to the papacy, even when he had to disobey the person holding that see at the moment because they were exceeding their authority. So an important principle, yes. as we're going to talk about uh, in, in really our first story, to remember that. We were always attached to, to Peter and to the sea, uh, even if the current occupant, perhaps uh, um, operative for the deep church, is doing things we cannot follow. Yes, and that leads us to our first story. the The headline is, of which is Pope decries restorationism, restricts bishops' power to erect new associations which is one of their ordinary powers as a diocesan bishop. Mm. <clears throat> so first on this issue of restorate, what he calls restorationism and, quote, non-acceptance of Vatican II, these comments were made in the context of a group discussion, um, which included a period of Q&A <laughs> with a group of editors of European Jesuit journals. So it was, uh, I forget how many in total, but most of them were, uh, you know, members of the Jesuit order. And then there were a few lay people who are in charge of journals throughout Europe and I think in Britain as well. So here's the question that was posed to Pope Francis, which set up, uh, teed up these remarks that he gave. He was asked, quote, what signs of spiritual renewal do you see in the church? Do you see any? Are there signs <laughs> of new, fresh life? Now, we, as tra as traditional Catholics, we know the answer to these questions. It's obvious. But here's what he had to say. Quote, It is very difficult to see spiritual renewal using old-fashioned criteria. <laughs> we need I mean, to renew. I just have to because it's just when he asked, do you see any? I mean, it's sort of like the answer to the question. We can't see any. And, and then he said, well, you can see them if you change the definition of it. Right. Exactly. So he's kind of like, do you see any flowers here? Well, if I redefine weeds as flowers, yes, I see a lot of flowers here. Sorry. And the real, just... the real irony is that just a couple of weeks ago, we had the huge, as we reported on, the yes. huge um, pilgrimage, the, the Chart pilgrimage, yes. obviously a sign of spiritual renewal, of vitality, fresh, yes. new, fresh life. That There it is right there. Right there, yes. But Pope Francis says, it is very difficult to see spiritual renewal using old-fashioned criteria. We need to renew our way of seeing reality, <laughs> of evaluating it. In the European church, I see more renewal in the spontaneous things that are emerging. Movements, groups, new bishops who remember that there is a council behind them. Actually, there are several councils. Yeah, exactly. Um, he goes on, because the council that some pastors remember best is that of Trent, 
Oh, shudder. <laughs> um, he goes on to say, restorationism has come to gag the council. Obviously, he's talking about Vatican II. The number of groups of, quote, restorers, for example, in the United States, there are many, is significant. And we know from past statements, Pope Francis is not a big fan of the United States in more ways than one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he goes on to say, an Argentine bishop told me, that he had been asked to administer a diocese that had fallen into the hands of these so-called restorers. Obviously, he means traditional Catholics. They had never accepted the council. There are ideas, behaviors that arise from a restorationism that basically did not accept the council. So let's pause there. Or I guess I'll finish this and then we can yes. comment. The problem is precisely this. In some contexts, the council has not yet been accepted. It is also true that it takes a century for a council to take root. We still have 40 years to make it take root then, exclamation mark. <laughs> so first of all, what does it even mean to accept the council? Because even as, as the, the leadership of the council said during the council itself, I think it was in November, sometime in the fall of 1964. I remember John used to mention this a lot. Um, the the council fathers asked what is the weight the the theological yes. weight of these documents that we're producing so they and asked Car- they asked cardinal felici who was the secretary what yes. are the weight of the the documents and he basically said they they carry the weight that they say they carry and there are no doctrinal declarations so they do not carry the weight of you know a a dogmatic definition Right. Uh, again, making it very again, making it very clear that to accept it, well, we accept it happened. Right. But if to the extent there's a novelty, that has to be judged, as Archbishop Lefebvre said, in the light of tradition, and we have yes. to see it in the light of tradition for what it is. Yes. So, and then he also, I think it's interesting that he says, you know, he talks about it taking a century for a council to take root. I suppose there could. There's probably some truth to that. The the reforms of the Council of Trent, for example, didn't take root overnight. It does take time. But the fact that he says we have 40 years to make it take root, as if it's like an artificial forcing this thing to work, whereas a good council just organically over time does take root because it's a good, you know, it's a good tree producing good fruit. Well, so notice, I think this is an important change in their defense of the council because for, for decades it was, oh, nobody understands the council. People have misinterpreted it. People misunderstood it. If you just get the right real Vatican II, with the real Vatican II, please stand up, right? Was their yeah. answer to all this. Notice now he shifted to, oh no, we know what it means. We just need to, at gunpoint, essentially, you know, paraphrase, at right. gunpoint, force you to accept it now. So it's not a quite, again, John Paul II, Bennett was all like, oh, well, we just don't understand it. There's ambiguity. We have to figure this out. He's moved well beyond that. Now it's, we just need to force feed this down your throat until yes. you accept it. Right. So he goes on uh, to bring up Another a controversial figure that um, George Newmeyer wrote about in his book, The Political Pope, because he has connections to, to Francis. And he also summarized him, uh, this figure as Father Pedro Arupe, the very controversial head of the Jesuits yes. back in the 60s and 70s. And uh, George Newmeyer wrote an article for us 
a couple years ago called the Papacy and Jesuitical Captivity, Archbishop Vigano and the 60-Year-Old Plan from August of 2019. So here's what Francis had to say about Father Arupe. Um, he's recalling what he witnessed, uh, what he calls the ordeal of Father General Pedro Arupe during the 32nd General Congregation. At that, and this was 1974, according to Francis. Uh, at that time, there was a conservative reaction to block the prophetic voice of Arupe. Today, for us, that general is a saint. Now, not actually. He hasn't even been canonized, not even according to the new <laughs> form. This is just yes. Francis saying he thinks he's a saint. Uh, but, Francis said, Arupe had to endure many attacks. Uh, he was courageous because he dared to take the step. Arupe was a man of great obedience to the Pope. Great obedience. Paul VI understood that. On the other hand, people linked to the Curia somehow incited a group of Spanish Jesuits who considered themselves the true Orthodox, and they opposed Arupe. And he goes on to say, uh, this is happening again, especially with the traditionalists. So according to him, the traditionalists are per you know, persecuting so-called great figures like Father Arupe, who was a, a staunch modernist. And he says, uh, so this is happening again, especially with the traditionalists. That is why it is important to save these figures who defended the council and fidelity to the Pope. So uh, just to put uh, this in perspective, I want to read this excerpt from uh, George Neumeier's 2019 article. He's giving some background about Father mm -hmm. Arupe. Father Pedro Arupe, the enormously permissive leader of the Jesuits, as it embraced socialism and relativistic morality in the 1960s and 70s, saw Bergoglio as a rising modernist star within the order and elevated him to the top Jesuit position in Argentina at the mere age of 36. The relationship between Arupe and Bergoglio, Neumeier goes on, deserves closer examination. For one thing, Arupe used Bergoglio as one of his liberal enforcers against restless conservative Jesuits, which is a very important biographical detail. At a worldwide gathering of Jesuits in the early 1970s, the same one that Francis referred to, at which Arupe blessed the liberal trajectory of the order, he asked Bergoglio to run off some Spanish Jesuits who had petitioned the Vatican for relief from Arupe's modernist dictates. And this paragraph ends, Bergoglio complied. In his book, Neumeier refers to Bergoglio as Arupe's liberal enforcer. Hmm. So at the end of this uh, interview group discussion with the Jesuit editors, Pope Francis, after talking about numerous other subjects, recircles to this subject and says, Sorry if I went on too long, but I wanted to underline the post-council and Arupe issues because, and here's the, the money quote as they say, the current problem of the church is precisely the non-acceptance of the council. So in Francis's mind, that is the prime, you know, the premier problem in the universal church, not Ted McCarrick, not the right. LGBT lobby, not all of these other obvious problems we're facing, it's non-acceptance of a pastoral council that in many, right. on many points is not even binding in conscience on Catholics. Yes. So again, put this in, step back. He's asked, is there any restoration, any 
you know, growth, new life in the church. He spends the entire answer not actually pointing to that, but essentially attacking the only place there is growth in the church, attacking yes. the, the movements that are bringing new life to the church. Uh, again, having been to ordinations, it was huge this year compared to last year uh, and the year before, which had to be private. Uh, but I, I just young families, you know, people pushing strollers with children hanging all off them, uh, all of over well over a thousand easily. Uh, again, this holds all around the world and other areas, and it, that's where the growth is. But instead of saying, well, yes, I see it, he sa he basically attacks uh, where it is, and not just in word, uh, it is in action. And again, he is enforcing a very, very strict uh, uh, system to try to destroy traditional or even traditional-leaning groups. We reported yes. a few weeks ago on the bishop, who a diocesan bishop who's ordaining in the new right, who was forbidden to ordain seminarians. Uh, because they're too, quote, conservative, too traditional. Uh, we've obviously traditionalis custodes. And then this week, I was announced that Pope Francis issued a directive forbidding diocesan bishops from establishing public associations of the faithful without Rome's permission. Now, some people may have passed by and thought, oh, what's that? Not a big deal. That's a huge deal because that is how all, you know, many traditional groups uh, groups that are priests or religious or religious communities get started in the church. So right. the church sort of has a process. First, you're a private association of the faithful, and then you get recognized by the, the, the bishop as a public association of the faithful. You have a le legitimate legal status, and right. then you can develop from there if you want to you know, affiliate with a religious order, if you want kind of a pontifical right. But it is a step that a local diocesan bishop recognizes that happened to the society of saint pius x in 1970 they were recognized that obviously was illegally suppressed invalidly later but that was the first step and that's what all the institute of christ the king etc you know no matter uh, the, the various abbeys all start right. that way and so what he's yeah, trying and I to think do is part of the reason why it's such a prolonged process yes. is that the church in her wisdom doesn't want yes. to just immediately and permanently establish an order and it turns out to be bad yes you know, exactly step by step to weed out any problems that might occur come up so. exactly but so this is to cut that off at the roots to stop yes. it because rome can say oh no you can't do that now the irony of ironies is this this is the synodal pope the listening pope i and traditionalist custodes the bishops have had their power taken away from them i want to decentralize the church these are all phrases of his except if it's going to benefit traditionalists then i want to be centralized right. we're going to ban the pontifical and you can't start any more of these traditionalist groups which is essentially again it's it's not doesn't say that in the directive but that is clearly what's behind it a way to stop you know a, a, that's how the, the carmel and fairfield for example that we've reported right. on they've all gone through this so this is to cut it off so no more the the, the goal is to quarantine lay under siege traditionalists and starve them to death and maybe just real quick before we go on, yes. I, I'll just read. It's a very short uh, rescript. It says, quote, the diocesan bishop before erecting by decree a public association of the faithful with a view to becoming an institute of consecrated life or a society of apostolic life of diocesan right must obtain the written permission of the dicastery for institutes of consecrated life and societies of apostolic life. That's the text of it. And the connection to Traditionis Custodes, as you may recall from our coverage, you know, over the last several months, it's going on a year now, uh, Articles 6 and 7 come into play because 
they get Francis gave uh, the Congregation for Institutes of Consecrated Life and Societies for Apostolic Life jurisdiction over groups, you know, former Ecclesia Dei communities, basically, who celebrate exclusively the traditional rite of mass. Mm -hmm. It says, uh, institutes of consecrated life and societies of apostolic life erected by the Pontifical Commission Ecclesia Dei fall under the competence of the Congregation for Institutes of Consecrated Life and Societies for Apostolic Life. And then our Article 7 talks gives jurisdiction to the congregation, now the Dicastery for Divine Worship yes. and the Dicastery for Institutes of Consecrated Life, etc., for ec- they now exercise the authority of the Holy See with respect to the observance of traditionis custodis. So it's and again, remember that dicastery led by Cardinal uh, uh, Debris uh, De Aviz, I think. De Aviz, De Aviz, thank you, uh, is the ones that deconstructed and destroyed the Franciscans and the Immaculata, and has been harassing, trying to destroy the Carmelites uh, that we've we've reported on. Yes. So it's like handing this. You know, you need the approval. Uh, you know, you have to get approval to eat meat from someone who is anti, you know, meat eating. Is what right. Is, you know, exactly. Is what it's from. So uh, clearly, this is an attack, a way to quarantine tradition. Right. And then we also have the related uh, story that came out this week as well about the uh, traditional monastic community at Dom uh, Alcuin oh. Reed's community has apparently been suppressed as of June 10th. And yes. I'm not real familiar uh, with the situation, but as I understand it, Brian probably knows more about this. He was uh, ordained th- this member, the brother of the community. Uh, yeah, he's been a deacon know. for years. I mean, okay. a year. I, I can't remember how many years. Nobody would ordain him, um, traditionalist. And uh, somehow it was a surprise when I heard it. He was ordained there. He, it's in the diocese of the Bishop Ray that we talked about that was ordered not to. Um, uh, ordain, and then this Bishop Ray suspended, uh, you know, basically attacked this community. So right. again, this is speculation, but it appeared to me that's what was going on. Okay, we're going to stop you from ordaining, quarantine your seminarians. Here, you got to go suppress Deacon now, Father Alcuin Reed, because you, you allowed this to happen. It's clear Bishop Ray has not or did not ordain him, uh, and uh, you know he summoned Reed to a meeting. <sighs> They got the inv- they got the invitation to the meeting at the community the day after the meeting was supposed to happen, and then said, "Oh, you're you're disobedient. You didn't come to the meeting." And then they sent another one when he was out of the country, so he couldn't get there. And he said, "I will explain how is ordained, who the ordaining bishop is. I will provide you all the documentation uh, in a meeting, but you have to let me know when the meeting is, so I can right. get there." And then he just suppressed the community essentially. So this seems to be that maybe my speculation that's what was going on. They punished this bishop. So that he would then take action against uh, the, the the group uh, headed up by uh, now Father uh, Reed. Yes, exactly. So we'll have to we'll keep an eye on the situation yes. and uh, report developments as they occur. But something, yes. our next story is related to <laughs> what we've been discussing is this new interview of Cardinal-elect Arthur Roach, who said that resisting Vatican II's, quote, new liturgy is quite serious. So again, it's kind of a, a sprawling interview, uh, mm-hmm. several subjects. We don't have time to cover all of it, but the pertinent point for our report today, yes. this is what he was asked. And this interview was conducted by Vatican News, and it was released on uh, the Feast of Corpus Christi last week, Thursday, June 16th. So he was asked, turning to liturgy and reform, 
There have been many debates recently about liturgy, particularly the Eucharist. Why, in your view, does something that should unite us continue to be so contentious? And here is uh, part of uh, Archbishop Roach's answer. He says, quote, there's never been a controversy about the liturgy in the way that we're experiencing it today, partly because there has never before been two versions of the Roman Missal. The Roman Missal from 1962 and then the Roman Missal from 1970, which, he says, was produced with the full force of the Second Vatican Council behind it and promulgated by Pope St. Pi- Pope Paul VI. <laughs> and he fails to mention that you know, obviously the, the previous missal had the full weight of the Council of Trent and was promulgated by Pope St. Pius V. So he's trying well, to make and, it and, sound and, like, like they're not. Yeah. yeah, go ahead. Yeah, let's just pause there for a second. I mean, first of all, that's what you say. This has never happened in the history of the church. Shouldn't that give you pause, number one? Number two, he's factually not, you know, accurate. I'm not saying he's intentionally lying. He's a smart person. He knows liturgy. I think he, he should know this. But for centuries, there were multiple versions of the Roman Rite, missals. There was the Roman Rite as celebrated by the Pope in Rome. There was the Dominican usage of that Rite, different missal. There was the Milan usage, the Ambrosian Rite. There was the Sarum usage that was used in England. Again, all the Roman Rite, all very similar, but they were different missals. So there were multiple versions of the Roman Rite. Again, they're the ones that Pius V, among others, said these are more than 200 years old. They may continue uh, right. to use those. So he's he's not even telling the truth. So the question right. might be, Archbishop Broach, if that was all fine, so when Pius V made clear everyone could use the Missal as used in Rome and any of the others, why was there not such a controversy? Why was exactly. it when the 1970 was introduced that it caused all this division? He doesn't answer that question. Exactly. Exactly right. So he goes on to say, uh, it's a tragedy that there is this controversy today, the so-called battles over liturgy, because the Eucharist is, by its nature, the sacrament that unites the church, the entire church. He says, as the, and as the Holy Father has pointed out in his Traditiones Custodes, there is one liturgical law which assists us in our belief in transmitting the church's doctrine. I think the irony there, obviously, is that <laughs> the the new missile has severely um, failed to transmit yes. the church's doctrine. That's yes. why it's it's resisted the way that it is. Uh, so he goes on. The reform of the liturgy is really a very important matter today, and also not something to be taken as an option. <laughs> this next comment really is amusing. Uh, but one of the problems, challenges of our age is the growth in individualism and in relativism, that I prefer <laughs> this. That's the exact opposite of what, of what the traditional yes. liturgy promotes. It promotes yes. ob- objectivity and you know, conforming yourself to an objective rule. It's completely against exactly. individualism and relativism, especially as we'll see in our next story, you know, talking about... I prefer yes. this um, when a homosexual couple is given the pulpit to preach essentially yes. a sermon at Sunday mass, who who's really in favor of individualism and relativism. Exactly. So, the traditional mass allows zero personal preferences. You can, the priest nor the people nor anyone can introduce any personal preferences. It's all 
literally by the rubrics where the new mass yes. constantly the priest says this or similar words you can make up your own liturgies you make up your own prayers of the faith it's all about subjectivism and individualism right so he goes on to say well the celebration of the mass is not something to be a matter of personal choice which is an moronic <laughs> yeah in light of his defense of the new missile that's really uh, hypocritical yes. frankly for him to be saying that we celebrate as a community, as the entire church and the church throughout the centuries has always regulated the form of liturgy that has come to, that it has come to believe is more pertinent for a particular age. That's also historically untrue, really. The, the mm -hmm. church has not based the changes in the liturgy on, or the organic development on Never. what is quote unquote pertinent for a particular age. Never. And so finally he says, um, so all that is taking place currently, he means, is the regulation of the former liturgy of the 1962 Missal by stopping the promotion of that, because, he says, it was clear that the council, the bishops of the council under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, were putting forward a new liturgy. So the Holy Ghost, according to him, inspired this handed them this new liturgy for the vital mm. life of the church, which if you read Sancro Sanctum Concilium, it's a very, you know, as, as Chris Ferrara has written uh, yes. very brilliantly, it has lots of legal loopholes in it to be exploited afterward, but it does, it doesn't actually explicitly call for a, uh, for what the concilium ended up doing. I mean, mm -hmm. you can interpret it in some ways that it, it could, be directed in that manner, but uh, it also well, calls for Latin, Gregorian chant, et cetera, et cetera. And remember, when the new mass was previewed to the Senate of Bishops and, and, and before it was promulgated, by a two-third vote, the Senate of Bishops said, rejected it. They said, no, we do, do not do this. So where wasn't that the Holy Spirit there? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's very selective. <laughs> and so he ends by saying, to resist that supposedly the inspiration of the Holy Spirit for the new liturgy is something that is really quite serious. And he, here he's basically echoing what he told Catholic News Service back in January. I think we have a, a short video clip to... I'll go. tell you this, that if people don't take what the successor of Peter, who has the keys to bind and to loose, if they don't take seriously what he, after having received from the Second Vatican Council the mandate to do what we are presently doing, then that is a very serious decision that people are making. And if that forms division and creates disharmony, that is a very, very serious matter. And like we said, I think we reviewed that before, you know, not a veiled threat. He's basically, and this is the argument for blind obedience to authority. Follow me to hell. Essentially, do whatever I tell you. And notice this appeal. He's got the keys. He's got the keys. Well, did he use them in his proper authority? And where are you saying that when things about we're about to report on next go on? Where exactly. are you when priests are blessing so-called same-sex couples? What? Where's your, the keys, the keys? No, the keys are only waved in front of traditionalists. Yes. And uh, real quick, before we start our next story, yes. just wanted to say a great resource for this subject in general is uh, Dr. Peter Kwasniewski's new booklet, True Obedience in the Church, which I wrote a review of this. It's in the uh, 
the June paper, the current edition of uh, Catholic Family News, and we also just posted it on our website, so it's available there as well to read a review of this very important booklet to help you understand the principles at play for understanding our role in obedience and and the limits of obedience, basically. Yes, excellent. Well, as I said, segue, uh, the traditionalists are the problem. That's the problem in the church. They just need to obey and stop following Trent. Meanwhile, in Cardinal Supich's diocese, that of Chicago, at Old St. Patrick's Church, uh, Father Joe Rocasalva, Rocasalva, the pastor, introduced two men uh, after the gospel to give the Father's Day <laughs> reflection on the gospel. Uh, and so the, to the lectern came Alex Shingleton and Landon Doika, uh, who say they have been members of this parish for a long time, um, uh, for a decade, and described again publicly their same-sex, quote, marriage as a blessing. So again, this is not just innuendo or speculation or rumors. or They, they publicly declare that they're living in a state of scandal and moral sin. Right. Um, they speak about adopting children. So they are extending the public scandal into the to, to innocent children. One of them said, let's be honest. There are probably not too many gay dads speaking on Father's Day at many Catholic churches on the planet today. I certainly um, hope not. I hope not. <laughs> right. Uh, later on, they said, we wanted to raise our children in the Catholic church. On the other hand, we didn't want to expose our children to bigotry and have them feel any shame or intolerance about their family. And again, shame is, is a neutral thing. It's an emotion, right? Mm -hmm. It's like love or, or, or hatred or anger. They are, they are properly ordered and improperly ordered, right? You go on a nation retreat, the first two days are meant to make you feel shame for your sin, right? To, to bring you to repentance. And so we don't want to feel shame. Well, Yes, shame is bad when it is inappropriate. To be ashamed of your faith or be ashamed of the good, yeah, that's bad. But one should be shameful, and that's part of the modern problem today, uh, that you should, you know, they want to take away shame in something that is, uh, for which it's an appropriate reaction. Uh, so again, they go on, they, they talk about, they call themselves married, they say that they are both fathers, which again, they're not, it's impossible for them to conceive children. Um, and they give this, this sermon. So on many accounts, first of all, it is against canon law for a lay person, as we said last two weeks ago, we reported on the bubble mass in Chicago, yes. for lay persons to give a sermon. Now, whatever word games they want to play and call it a gospel reflection, it is during mass that's after the gospel. And in fact, the, the uh, priest referred to them as homilists, I think. And, and uh, so it's clear they were giving the sermon, uh, whatever they want to call it. It is what it is. Uh, and secondly, that they are now publicly giving scandal, right, by celebrating acts which the, even the modern catechism says are intrinsically disordered or against the natural and the divine law, and are bragging about how they are influencing innocent children that they have been allowed now to take into their home. And again, the, the picture is there. Here it is. This We didn't just make it up. Here is from the Catholic News Agency. There they are. I don't know which is which, uh, but there's the priest sitting down while heresy, essentially, and, and scandal are mm -hmm. being preached in the Catholic, the Catholic Church. But the biggest problem in the church are traditionalists who, that's, who that 
Sunday, my Father's Day, I was listening to my son preach at his first Sunday Mass uh, on the, the, it was interesting, the gospel, it was those who were invited to the feast, where our Lord's speaking about the yes. demons who left and go bring in, and he talked about that, uh, you know, the, we must be, have gratitude by living what God teaches us. Very brief mm-hmm. summary. But, you know, here, no, in Chicago, in Supish land, uh, there are two active public homosexuals engaging in intrinsically disordered acts, publicly advertising it, given the microphone in a right. Catholic church. That That is the greatest problem in the church, not traditional Latin mass that's been suppressed in Chicago. Absolutely. And then just yesterday, here's what James Martin uh, tweeted out. James Martin SJ speaking about problems in the church. Yes. That this wasn't specifically in reference to um, this incident in Chicago, but still applicable. He says, quote, homosexuality is not an abnormal lifestyle choice. It is the way that God created part of the human race. Do you, that's heresy. That's yes. outright heresy. It constitutes a denial, number one, of original sin. Yes. It's, it's imputing to God that he uh, created certain people disordered and inclined to unnatural vice. It's outrageous. Yes. And so it's a denial of the goodness of God. It's a denial of original sin and its consequences. It's also uh, a denial of the prohibition of unnatural vice that God himself says in scripture. It's yes. <laughs> and he, yet he's allowed to say these outrageous heretical things with impunity and it's the traditionalists who are the problem. It's just unbelievable. Yes. yes. So, uh, so where is Cardinal Supage to stop these clear violations of canon law and Catholic right. doctrine? He's no. Who's now? Isn't I, isn't he's now? He's a member of the Dicastery for History for Liturgy. Divine yeah. for Divine Worship. Yes. Yes. So the the soul of the Church uh, is the body of Christ is being attacked in Chicago by this. But then also, meanwhile, it, physical attacks on Catholics are escalating, and they've been escalating for some time, gets almost no attention, almost no attention from the Vatican. And another very sad incident that Matt's going to tell us about happened in Nigeria. Yes. So if you, I'm sure viewers will recall who watched our show last week, we re- reported on the horrible massacre that took place in the uh, city of Owo in Nigeria where uh, around 50 people were gunned down and dozens more were injured, uh, basically an act of jihad perpetrated by uh, those who were identified by eyewitnesses as Muslim herdsmen, the Fulani, members of the Fulani uh, tribe. And now we have had another attack, a similar attack in another uh, Nigerian location from a Catholic news agency. We read... An early morning raid Sunday, so this past Sunday is when it happened, by terrorists in north-central Nigeria hit a Roman Catholic congregation hard. Uh, We lost three of our parishioners and 36 people were kidnapped, the majority of whom were Catholics. Father Francis Agba, pastor of St. Moses Church in Rubu, told CNA via text message. This is the third attack the priest goes on against this village in this month in this month alone and the latest of 15 attacks in the 17 outstations of the parish this year so the territorial parish has multiple uh, mm-hmm. churches throughout its uh, territorial jurisdiction and and this 
perished. All the churches in the jurisdiction have been hit multiple times. Uh, it goes on to say the three churches were in a complex of villages called Rubu and Kajuru uh, County, approximately 30 miles south of Kaduna City in north central Nigeria. The abductees included 31 females and five males, according to Jonathan Asake, the head of Southern Kaduna People's Union, an umbrella group for all Christian communities in the state. And it eventually goes on to say, uh, let's see here, the attacks are part of a systematic campaign of Fulani bandit gangs to force the majority Christian farmers off of the land in Southern Kaduna, according to this Mr. Asake. The Sunday morning raids came nine days after a June 5th bandit uh, assault on three villages approximately 12 miles away that left 32 dead, according to this report, and 12 wounded. Um, so yeah, this, this uh, violence against Catholics, against Christians, continues to grow. We have a comment from a, a bishop in Africa who's commenting on these episodes. This was uh, in a report by Catholic News Service. Uh, it says, while the Catholic Church continues to play its part in helping people in Nigeria, the policies of the current government obstruct a clear path toward peace and reconciliation between Christians and Muslims, said Bishop Matthew Hassan uh, Kuka of Sokoto. He says, um, just to tell you how little progress we have made, we still have a military general as our president, and therefore it is little wonder that this journey has proven to be a challenge and a source of great difficulty for our people, the bishop said on June 20th. Attacks against Christians, especially Catholics, have been on the rise in the country, and Nigeria unfortunately has a long history of this, especially due to groups like Boko Haram as well as the uh, Islamic State affiliate group that we told you about in our last report. And what is ultimately the response of the Vatican to all of this? As we said last time, Pope Francis met with the members of the Dicastery for Interreligious Dialogue on June uh, 6th, and he told them to promote convivial, uh, a con spirit of conviviality, basically yeah. festivity and camaraderie. And he spoke those words the day after the attack in Owo, which murdered, you know, in which 50, mm. around 50 Catholics, men, women, and children were, were murdered. Um, and he, you know, the day before on June 5th, when it happened, he deplored the horrific attack and unspeakable violence in his telegram of condolence. But uh, such lamentations really do ring quite hollow when he remains obstinate in celebrating and defending false religions, specifically mm -hmm. Islam, which is at the root of these attacks. Yes. He fault, you know, Francis has a long history of whitewashing uh, Islam, the true nature of it. He says in his uh, 2013 apostolic exhortation, Evangelii Gaudium, quote, Faced with disconcerting episodes of violent fundamentalism, our respect for true followers of Islam should lead us to avoid hateful generaliz generalizations. For authentic Islam, he says, and the proper reading of the Quran are opposed to every form of violence, end quote, which is demonstrably false. I have an article about this in the forthcoming July paper that gives the, the proof from the Quran itself that that's just flat out false.
it's it's uh, dishonest dishonest so until so, the vatican is ready to start opposing these errors fundamentally religious errors false religions um these problems are going to continue no doubt yes and obviously our condolences go out to the families who lost many people yes. and you know pray for the repose of the soul of these these catholics and you know that uh they were in the state of grace we hope when they pray they may have died as martyrs if if you know depending on the circumstance it's it is just sad to see the body of christ being attacked from all sides and the the ship is rudderless uh, to use a an analogy actually or an image of uh, pope benedict no no leadership from uh from he who holds the keys exactly well our final story well again you'll see some of the theme from the show uh in the church what we saw was it's blind obedience shut up and accept vatican ii uh, we're going to force it down your throats. We have 40 more years to do it. That's been the approach of the deep church that has infiltrated the church. And it's the same thing with the deep state. And it was really exposed in an extraordinary way this week. A group of 600 uh, members of the military compiled a report that they sent to the Congress, who has oversight of um, the military. And they called it the, the Survey of Accountability, Truth, and freedom, uh, ATAF. They love um, acronyms. Acronyms, in, in yes. The military, yes. But uh, it's really it, it gathers an incredible amount of data and personal stories, all related to uh, the forced receipt of the jabs in the military or uh, facing disciplinary uh, procedures. And uh, the, the authors of the report. Um, say there is now a severe recruiting and retention. Here you can see the report on screen. Retention problem that has manifested itself across the entire Department of Defense. And they go on to say, you know, the Marine Corps, everybody's admitting it, saying the reason is because of these uh, these forced things. Uh, there's uh, dis to discriminate, to deny our religious, moral, and medical freedoms is wrong. To coerce anyone into receiving this product is appalling. Failing to make the connection... Uh, the unlawful coercion of the R&R crisis is absurd, the ret retention and recruitment. And again, they basically collect stories uh, of uh, individuals who were applied for religious exemptions and were summarily and just unconditionally denied. But even people who have medical exemptions, who were granted medical exemptions from other vaccines previously, who you know, had a medical reason where they couldn't get others, denied. Just no, no explanations often, nothing. Uh, so for both religious and medical reasons, blanket denials. And, and what's interesting and of this group, many of them, and they, they have, again, all this incredible data, of, you know, which branches of the military, what rank they are. Uh, and again, I'm not as familiar, but we have officer rank um, and then high enlisted ranks uh, are, are making up large uh, sections of this, right? You can see E7, E8, E9, you know, there in this uh, this blue area, and then officer rank four, right? High, higher, this huge light blue area. So they are basically destroying the middle management, for lack of a better word, but the middle ranks of the officer corps uh, of their most experienced soldiers by by kicking them out. There's stories of uh, pilots who are grounded for for not uh, accepting this. Uh, and again, here you can see all the data that they've gathered. How many, here's how many applied for religious exemptions were denied or still pending. Um, again, here is a sample 
of uh, some of these stories. The retention recruitment process is a sham. Since the mandate began, relationships have been tarnished. Holdouts are humiliated. There is all-time low morale within the unit, right? Um, complete and utter discrimination and retaliation based on my faith and original off official duties as a medical officer in order to coerce me to shut up and comply. Again, sound familiar from our first, our first uh, story? Yeah. Because of my relationship with God, this crisis process created an occasion that has negatively impacted my characterization of service, despite my record of performance. Discrimination from leadership that preaches inclusion. Uh, again, they go on and on. You can and see all that. of this for refusing to accept a jab, which people like Bill Gates, one of the biggest jab yes. advocates in the world, admitted. I think we mentioned this in a previous show on May 24th at publicly at the World Economic Forum's Davos meeting that these jabs, quote, don't have much in the way of duration and they're not good at infection blocking. <laughs> Which so is that, their other argument that they're not even traditional definition of a vaccine. They're not preventing illness, uh, yes. which is what supposedly it does. But again, if you look at these titles, that's what I'm saying. These are not just 18-year-old, you know, uh, raw recruits, captain, 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 major, captain. These are career uh, service members. Yes. Persecuted by the Department of Defense for pursuing bodily autonomy on the basis of my religious beliefs. And they just go on and on and right. on. Uh, so again, the slogan, my body, my choice doesn't apply. Yeah, doesn't, yeah, yeah exactly. But, uh, you know, th if you think about it in terms of infiltration, the deep state, China, the enemies of the United States, uh, who, you know, one may want to have a shooting war with the United States at some point. I mean, think about what what a better way to prepare by destabilizing, destroying the military, get mm -hmm. them to expel their experienced middle level officers or experienced enlisted men. Uh, and so you devastate it. You break down morale. You break down retention and recruitment. And you don't have to fight the the military. They're just going to fall apart. And this is being presided over by generals, by the by the, the the those in charge. They are essentially destroying, just as the church was destroyed by destroying religious vocations, destroying families, by destroying seminaries. Uh, the same thing. It is the exact same model within the deep state and the deep church. So, you know, again, our, our, our heart and our sympathy goes out to these men and women who have served their country and who want to serve their country. And again, all throughout this, I have an exemplary career. I've been commended. I've received all these medals. It goes on and on. So these are good, good people who have served their country and their country has just slapped them in the face, dropped them all over selling billions of dollars of pharmaceutical products to profit the shareholders of pharmaceutical companies and who's right. right there propping up the promoting the propaganda guess who <laughs> yes yes the vatican yeah the vatican and uh you know with that uh just as a, a last a little note to show and i think i said this before the church and state have never been more harmoniously cooperating they've been less separated than in the last several decades they are it's like they're following uh the same script so a really i i would put it almost sacrilegious uh but uh you know almost sacrilegious uh incident the vatican has recently released a new commemorative coin and again they they do that for saints for jubilee years as something you can buy as a souvenir or a keepsake this is their latest vatican coin city of the vatican de vaticana commemorating the jab 
<laughs> so not a saint, people wearing masks and someone jabbing their arm. I, I, again, is this an appropriate commemorative coin to have on the back IHS? I, I mean, it just this just shows you it's we're going to get this. We're going to force this down your throat, whether it's Vatican II or a pharmaceutical product that enriches the, the wealthy, deep, you know, uh, military industrial complex. There it is. 20 euro commemorative coin, uh, the Vatican and the department of defense on the same page. Wow. Yes. Well, I wish we had some, uh, Hopefully next week we'll have some better news to report. It's been a rough uh, news cycle this past couple weeks, but um, you know certainly don't lose hope. Uh, as yeah. we reported last, you know, two weeks ago, the the shard pilgrimage and other such, uh, you know, to answer the question that uh, Pope Francis was originally posed in that group discussion with the Jesuit editors. Uh, let me see what was that question he was asked here so what signs of spiritual renewal do you see in the church we see renewal in the parishes uh you know teeming with with young families traditional latin mass parishes we see the it in vocations the vocations that the ordinations that uh including brian's son that he just witnessed and all of the young families uh supporting all of those wonderful vocations so there certainly is spiritual renewal it's simply that the you know Francis's ministry of truth doesn't want us to know about it. Yes, exactly. He's trying to suppress it. So keep the faith. Keep the faith. Yes, keep praying to Our Lady of Fatima. We have a week, a little over a week. The uh, first Saturday will be coming. The first Friday. Remember to keep keep those. Make the communion of reparation. Again, we have to do to do our part. I think another very hopeful, to end our uh, report for today, there's a very hopeful event going on uh, oh, yes. actually right now and today and tomorrow in Wisconsin. It's it's uh, the first anniversary conference and banquet for the Coalition for Canceled Priests, an organization that Archbishop Vigano has spoken uh, in favor of, kind of given his uh, endorsement of. So the title of their conference is called Finding Hope in the Desert, if you're interested in learning more about it, you can visit their website, which is canceledpriest.org. And there's a a button to to click on on the homepage for this event. And they are doing wonderful work, that group. I interviewed Father Lovell a while ago, rescuing priests who are being thrown out by the deep church. So they do still have tickets available for tomorrow, I understand. So if you're near that area of Wisconsin, uh, certainly go go there. Uh, It looks like it'll be, it's a great event. Yes. All right. Well, I think that brings our report to a close for this week. Yes. Uh, yeah. you know, we went a little over our hour allotment, but we had a lot to <laughs> catch up on with, with uh, being off last week. Yes. So thank you for joining us, whether live or if you're watching the, the replay of the video. If you've enjoyed this show, uh, we do ask that you give it a, a thumbs up, a like, uh, and a share on social media. That really does help us a lot to, to grow the audience and spread the content far and wide. And if you enjoy the free content we make available, uh, oh, yes. Hello from Brazil. <laughs> Brazil, right. yes. Thank you for joining us. Um, if you enjoy the content we make available for free online, we do ask for your consider supporting us financially by uh, subscribing to the newspaper, Catholic Family News. Uh, subscription information available on our website, catholicfamilynews.com. So as we always do, we will close by invoking Our Lady. 
praying together a Hail Mary. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Eternal Father, I offer you the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ and all the instruments of his holy passion, that thou may put division in the camp of thy enemies. For as thy beloved Son has said, a kingdom divided against itself shall fall. St. John the Baptist. Pray for us. Our Lady of Fatima. Pray for us. Most sacred heart of Jesus, have mercy. Have mercy on us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. God bless you. God willing, we will see you next week. Yes, God bless you.